In today's episode, I want to talk about the power of practicing your mixes with live music, the DDJ SB3 Jazzy Jeff controversy, and why DJs need to stop looking at their laptop screens. This is Share the Knowledge. For the last 22 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. The Share the Knowledge podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Hey guys, what's going on? It's your boy DJ TLM, and you're checking out the Share the Knowledge podcast. This is episode 39 of my educational podcast for DJs. And like I said, today I want to talk about the power of using live music to practice your mixes. I want to talk about Pioneer DJ's DDJ SB3 controller that was made in collaboration with DJ Jazzy Jeff and the scratch feature that it has that has sparked just a little bit of a controversy. Now, DJ Jazzy Jeff responded, so I want to get into that. Also, I want to talk about why DJs need to stop looking at their laptop screens. I have a bunch of questions in my email inbox, so I'm going to do a quick Q&A there. But I want to start by talking about DJ TLM TV. That's my YouTube channel, my educational YouTube channel for DJs, youtube.com slash DJ TLM TV. Um, I want to talk about a couple of releases, new videos. First of all, the SSS7, the Saturday Super Session Part 7 is now online. That is my global scratch collaboration video, scratch compilation video. Now, if you're not familiar, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I made the announcement. This is uh, a global effort. I just upload a beat on my SoundCloud. People can download the beat and record themselves on video scratching over that beat. Then you can submit that video to me. So like 85 DJs sent me videos. I go through all those videos, I make a selection that turn into be uh, around 50 videos, and then I combine those into a scratch compilation video. That's what it is. Now, this video features DJs from all over the globe, so I'm very happy once again to see people from everywhere. We have people from the U.S., the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, uh, Trinidad, Tobago, Haiti, Malaysia, New Caledonia, Italy, Japan, India. Um, that's just off the top of the head. There was more. Uh, there was definitely more. And all DJs using different types of equipment. So you got turntables, portable turntables, uh, controllers, like controllers with moving platters, small controllers, all sorts of things. So to me, that's just a great way to show that people from all over the globe have uh, something in common. We all have a love for this art called turntablism. And it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or you're more advanced, as long as you mastered the techniques that you applied in the video, you could be part of this compilation. Now, congratulations to all the DJs that made it into this collaboration, but I also want to send this special message to the DJs that did not make it to the final cut. And I also posted this online. I'll be doing a special review video, and I'm posting that later this week where I'm gonna actually show all of those videos. I'm not gonna name names, so don't worry, but I'm gonna show those videos and I'm gonna give you my feedback. So I'm gonna give commentary and explain why these videos were not added, not part of this compilation. Now, in some cases, the technique was like flawless. There were a couple of videos in there with great scratches, but people did not 
follow the rules and guidelines, and that is important as well. So I think it's good to talk about that, not just to give the people that did not make it um, a little bit of uh, explanation, but more importantly, this can show all of you that may want to take part in the next session. That's going to be months away, but still, you can already see like, okay, maybe this is what I need to do. Or people that tried out for a, um, part six or five and didn't make it and didn't really understand why, you will get some clarity from seeing me comment on those videos. So that's coming uh, later this week or maybe beginning of next week. So look out for that. Now, I also dropped a video, an unboxing video for the turntables that I have right here uh, in the studio right now. I have them in front of me if you're watching the video clip. Um, those are the Denon DJ VL12 Prime turntables. So if you wanna see and hear a little bit more about those, you can check out that unboxing video also on my channel. Make sure you follow me on social, uh, on YouTube, that's DJTLM TV. On most other platforms, it's just DJTLM. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, check me out, especially Instagram. I try to drop a lot of different things there. Also, small clips that I can't post on my YouTube channel because of copyrights. They do allow it on Instagram for now. So uh, make sure you follow me. Also, if you want to check out the official website for the podcast, you can go to sharethenowledgepodcast.com. That's the website just dedicated to nothing but the podcast for all info about this podcast. So what I want to talk about right now is the DJ Jazzy Jeff Pioneer DJ SB3 controversy. Now, this is not a big, big deal, but as usual, when it comes to DJ technology, there's always going to be people who are against it. Like the sync discussion is still happening. The sync feature has been around forever now, and this is still an ongoing debate. I even remember Jazzy Jeff talking about this a couple of weeks ago at the Red Bull 3 style finals because um, it's still a thing. I did a video for DJ City not too long ago and I saw some people in the comments like, why are we still talking about this? Because people are still talking about this. If it was up to me, it would not be a problem at all, but some people um, will never be satisfied and will continue to um, complain about certain things. Now, in this case, the SB controller from Pioneer is their entry-level controller for Serato. Um, they released the SB3, so that's the DDJ SB3. But this one was made in collaboration with DJ Jazzy Jeff. Um, now, I always like it when brands reach out to the pros so Jazzy Jeff is definitely one of the pros when it comes to DJing and turntablism. Uh, Well-respected, definitely legendary. One of my prime examples when it comes to uh, the way I like to DJ. Always loved his work. Um, and they collaborated for this controller. So he, he not only gave his input, but they also added a special feature now, I do need to look this up for a second. Uh, second, This is called the pad scratch mode. So they added a special feature for the performance pads that you can't find on other controllers, and this was made with Jazzy Jeff. Now, when I first saw it, I thought that all it was was actually just some scratch samples that you could use, that you could trigger. But it's actually not what it is. Um, if I saw correctly in the demo video, all of the eight pads uh, hold different scratch techniques. And once you press that pad, it will apply that technique 
to whatever is playing on that deck at that time. So if it's a sound, it will scratch that sound. If it's the beginning of a beat, like a kick drum, it will use the kick drum. So um, that's actually pretty cool tech-wise. It will imitate eight different scratch techniques, and it starts with a basic technique, and then it uh, it goes up in difficulty. Um, now, pretty cool feature. Me, personally, as a turntablist DJ, um, I would not in any way feel threatened by a feature like this. This would not make me say like, oh, now other DJs that can't scratch can use that feature. Yes, they can, but that doesn't bother me. That's me personally. But as you can imagine, there was definitely some feedback from people who did not like this. They did not like that the machine can now emulate certain scratches um, when it's actually not the DJ behind the machine doing it. Uh, okay, so I can understand where they're coming from. Just like the people that say that sync is cheating because you're not beat matching manually, I understand where they're coming from. I just don't share that opinion. I really don't care about that. I prefer to do it myself so I don't use sync. I'll mix myself. And scratching is a lot of fun. So I would never use a button to scratch for me. I want to do it myself. But that's not what it was made for. So... I want to go to Jazzy Jeff's actual feedback. So I'm going to quote him right now. Uh, he posted this two days ago on Instagram. Okay, let me address some of the comments about the new Pioneer controller with the pad scratch feature that I helped them with. I've always and will push the DJ culture forward. I've done it for over 30 years. I have always been a turntable first DJ, but if there's a 10 year old kid out there who has an interest in DJing and scratching, do you think their parents have $2,000 to invest in two turntables and a mixer to see if they like it? No, they're going to buy them a controller. That's what they're gonna learn on uh, how to scratch on, whether you like it or not, that is the future. So when they asked me to help out with the pass scratch feature, I did it without hesitation for the culture because I want the 10 year old inspiring DJ to get a chance to learn. I really don't understand the people who think this is the end of the DJ culture. Just like the sync button, just like they said Serato was going to be. Uh, listen, if you don't like it, you don't have to use it. It's not for you. But if you really think that a pass scratch sync Serato or any other piece of technology is going to end the culture, you don't really understand what the culture is about. Technology can't read a room, figure out what to play and when to play it, break new music. That's what it's all about. There's not a piece of technology that will ever put the culture in jeopardy. I have and will always be an ambassador for the DJ culture. So yeah, um, I, 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 I really, really like that. Uh, let me take this out again. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like I said, we still have the same discussion when it comes to sync. Um, people are threatened by this. And uh, I almost forgot until he posted that, that I remember now when Serato first came out, a lot of people were calling this like the death of vinyl and the death of DJing. Um, I think the total opposite has happened and more people 
will make the transition from a controller to vinyl because of Serato. Because if you start out with a controller, you're DJing digitally, you might like what you see when you see turntables, but you're not gonna feel like building your whole music collection again. But now that you know that you have the option to use DVS, you can have your music collection and use it with turntables, that changes everything. Uh, so I believe that a lot of DJs that start on controllers that might wanna try turntables will make that step quicker knowing that they have DVS, quicker than they would if they would have to go out and buy like a cupboard full of vinyl to get started. Um, now also in the video, in the, in the, uh, the Pioneer video, they also showcase how it was meant and I actually like that. They show that the scratch pad feature can actually be used as a learning tool. So what you saw is that um, a beat was playing and then the DJ used the scratch pad and heard the scratch technique and on the other deck he then tried to emulate that scratch technique. That is what I used to do back in the days when I was listening to albums and I would hear a DJ scratch, I would try to emulate that scratch. So you're doing that by ear. You can have that pad scratch there, you can press it and hear that technique. So it's like you have Jazzy Jeff in the room with you, press it, hear the technique, then try to emulate it. I think that is a very great tool, especially for kids. Um, I have to add though, he was making a comparison that you, the parents are not gonna buy $2,000 worth uh, of equipment to buy turntables and a mixer. Yes, you are definitely able uh, to get a nice turntable set with a mixer for a lot less money. That is possible. But still, it's gonna be more money than buying an SB3 that's probably gonna cost like uh, 300 or something like that. So I agree. You can't hold back technology and there's no reason to. If I was a parent, now of course for me it's different because my kids could use my equipment, but if I had no equipment or if parents come up to me and ask what they should buy for their kid because their kid wants to try and see if he or she likes DJing, I would not tell them to go out and buy turntables and a mixer, an entire set that takes up a lot of space and costs more. I would tell them to start with a simple controller because that is a great way to find out if you actually enjoy DJing and if you do, and you start to learn the basics, which you can learn perfectly fine on a controller, after that, that child can make up its mind and decide, hey, I wanna move forward and go this way, maybe go towards something more like an RX that looks more like uh, CDJs, or go with a vinyl set with real vinyl or DVS with Serato Tractor or whatever. Um, so I think it's a great place to start. and. Going back to my Saturday Super Session Part 7, I even saw a comment today where someone was really um, giving a lot of props to, I think it was the DJ from Haiti who was playing on a small controller. And the comment was really like, I love the fact that this guy from Haiti is bodying a lot of these DJs using thousands uh, of dollars worth of equipment because the DJ from Haiti was using a simple controller and definitely display some better scratch techniques than some of the other videos where people had like the S9 and some expensive turntables, so a lot more equipment, a lot more expensive equipment, but um, the guy on the smaller controller had better techniques, so that just shows you 
anything's possible. And um, I, I, I have nothing against any equipment, any tech. And being a DJ is definitely about a lot more than the things that can be solved with sync or a scratch pad. Now, if we're talking about DJs and technology, in most cases, we are talking about laptops. Now, taking it back to my Saturday Super Session Part 7, or any of the Super Sessions, as a matter of fact, all of my compilation videos have a lot of digital DJs in there. They're either using a controller or turntables with DVS, and in the last one, I even saw like a portable turntable with a seven-inch piece of Serato vinyl connected to Akai AMX and Serato. Um, but... Most of the DJs were using a laptop and a couple were using CDJs. You can see in that video, if you watch the video, that a lot of these DJs are scratching, but while they're scratching, they're actually looking at their screen. Uh, tip number one, if you have your laptop in front of your set, I would definitely suggest that you move it to the side. Now, I know you're playing at home, but keep in mind, if this is how you're learning how to DJ, learning how to scratch at home, and you get used to that setup, when you go out to play in front of people, you want your setup the same way, so you're probably going to put that laptop in front of you again because that's what you're used to. But if you're playing in front of people, you're actually creating a barrier between you and the crowd. Now, I know that because when I first started to play with the laptop, I had it in front of me. And after only a couple of gigs, I realized like, hey, wait a minute, I don't have clear vision. I can't see the crowd as well because I have this laptop screen in front of me. Vice versa, the crowd can't see my face either because they're looking at this laptop screen. And especially when I just started using uh, Final Scratch before Serato, DVS was not that known. And I mean, still, a lot of people in the crowd might not be as familiar, but they're more familiar now than they were then. So having that laptop right there also caused quite some confusion and people didn't really understand what I was doing. Why is that laptop there? Is he actually DJing or is he looking at the internet? What is he doing? So I decided that I did not want that barrier there. So if you're just practicing at home right now and you're using that screen a lot, start by moving it to the side. That already removes that barrier. I have it to the side as well. It's a lot better when it comes to the look and uh, the barrier is gone. And for me personally, I treat the laptop like as one of my crates. When I was playing, I used to have my crates either next to the DJ set or behind me. Now, I don't want my laptop behind me, so I have it next to me. So what I do is when I'm playing, I'm right in front of my set. When it's time for me to find a new track, I'll slide slightly to the side, have my hands on my S9 because I use that to control the software so I can scroll by just using the knobs on the, on the uh, mixer. But I just slide a little bit to the side so I can clearly see my screen. I look, I select a new track, load it, and then I move straight back to the middle and I'm focused on my set again. So my total attention goes out to the set and the crowd. Um, now, I saw a couple of videos in there as well where DJs actually had their laptop on the side, but they were still looking at it the entire time while they're scratching. So the hand was on the platter, the other hand was on that fader, and that head was tilted all the way to the side looking at that laptop. Now, just aesthetically again, just like it doesn't look as well to have that laptop right in front of you, 
it doesn't look great when you see a DJ behind decks, but they're not facing you, the crowd, or their decks. They're actually facing the side. They're looking somewhere else. That looks weird. So I'm just talking about looks now, but it looks weird. Um, more importantly, what I want to focus on now is when you're DJing, you're playing music, or when you're doing turntablism, you're manipulating uh, sounds or tracks, you're working with audio. Your number one thing for audio should be your ears, not your eyes. So same with mixing. You can use sync, but I also advise people to learn how to beat match by ear. You should be able to hear if things are playing in sync, not just see it on a screen. Same with scratching. When you're scratching, if you use a controller that has no moving platters, I can understand that if you scratch and you let that sound go, and you want to rewind to bring that sound back to the beginning, you might just take a glance at that laptop, look at the WAV file to see if you spun it back far enough. I can understand that. I don't have to do that. I have stickers on my vinyl. If you use CDJs, you have that uh, visual aid as well. You have that LED little marker that moves with you. So you have something that can tell you like, okay, I'm back where I need to be. If you don't have that, you might take a quick look at the laptop, get the sound back. But after that, you want to have all of your attention, especially when you're starting out and you're just practicing techniques, you want all of your attention to be here, behind the decks. You want to focus on that hand that's on the platter. You want to focus on the hand that's on that fader. And you want to focus on the movements that you're supposed to be making. If your eyes are looking at a laptop screen, that means that part of your focus or like all of your focus is away from the actual decks and the mixer. Now, of course, you're feeling them because you're using them, but your eyes are not focused on that. You're looking at a waveform on a laptop screen. So that takes away a lot of attention from the actual techniques that you're trying to perform. And I could actually see in certain videos that it was taking away from their performance. It was taking away from the technique and it just didn't look as good. So you should really practice to try and do it without the laptop screen. If you choose to play like that when you go out and play, that's your choice. More power to you if that's your technique, that's how you want to roll. But just keep in mind, if you have that laptop in front of you, you're creating a barrier. If you have that laptop on the side and you're looking at the side all the time, it looks weird. And you're learning to trust your eyes more than your ears when the thing that you do is focused on audio. That is not making a lot of sense. And if anything ever happens and you can't play with that screen, what would you do if you do not know how to trust your ears? So at least practice. So if you're using a laptop, maybe you just have a cloth, piece of cloth over that screen, learn to focus, practice without that screen. That can really help you out whenever you run into situations where you cannot use that screen. So please uh, take all of that into consideration for your next practice session. So right now, I want to take a little break and send a special shout out to the sponsor of this episode, Banzoogle. 
For the modern day DJ, producer or musician, it's more important than ever to make sure you have an online presence. And having your own website is key. Bazoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Bazoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Bazoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website and that was very easy. Bazoogle plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. So what I want to do right now is just take a look at my inbox right here. I flagged a couple of questions and go through those questions in a quick Q&A. Now, the first question right here is someone has asked me where they can send the video for the next scratch session. Just to put it out there real quick, when I do one of these scratch compilation videos, I make the announcement, I upload a beat, you download the beat, you add your scratches, you record a video, you send me the videos after I receive the submissions. I make a selection. I then edit that into a single video with a lot of DJs, 40, 50, 60 DJs in there. And when that's online, the project is done. So every time I receive questions after it's uploaded, like where can I send the video? You can't because the project is done. I can't add more videos. And when it's time for the next session, there's going to be a new beat. That beat is not out yet, so currently you cannot record for the next session yet. So in a couple of months, there's going to be a new announcement. I'll upload a new beat. You get the rules and guidelines. You get your deadline. And that's when you can take part in that next session. So I hope that really uh, clears that up. Then I have a question about my custom skins. And the question is, uh, can I have your custom skin? I really like him and I want to customize for my DJ set and laptop. So this has to be about the custom skins that I have on my SL1200 turntables and my DJM909 mixer and on my old laptop, my MacBook that I used for years. Now, uh, if you're watching the video version, I can actually show you the laptop. So this is the design right here. Um, black with these yellow stripes. And on the inside of the laptop, there's also a special skin that has the logo on there. Now, the same design was also on the turntables. Um, I have them here, but I'm not gonna lift up those turntables. And on my um, 909 mixer. So here's the thing. When it comes to customizing, people customize because they wanna have something that is special, something that is unique, something that is different than the things that are already there. Now, you can buy a lot of different skins for mixers, turntables, uh, uh, laptops, but you can also choose to upload your own design. Same with t-shirts. You can order t-shirts and upload a design and have your own t-shirt. It's the same thing with this. Um, in this case, I used uh, 12inchskins.com. That's not a sponsor or whatever, but that's where I had everything done. I um, made my design in Photoshop, uploaded it, and got skins for everything. Deck plates for the turntables, skins for the laptop and mixer. And I also do custom labels for my vinyl there. So again, if you're watching the video version, you got the logo there, and I just stick that on all my vinyl just to give it a little more personal touch and also of course this is branding to have your logo on there 
Here's the thing. Again, you customize because you want to make something unique. You want to make something special. This is not retail products. What I have on my laptop is not something that's available to the public. I made that for me. So to send other DJs my customized uh, laptop skin and turntable skin doesn't make a lot of sense because that's supposed to be my design for my equipment. And if other people have it, then it's not really a custom thing. Then it becomes more of a retail thing, a normal thing. Uh, now, who knows? Maybe in the future, I'll actually design something in collaboration with um, one of these um, designer uh, uh, custom uh, shops, maybe like vinyl labels or something like that, that are actually for the public. But then it's not my personal thing. Then it's just something for everyone. Same with like T-shirts. If I do DJ TLM TV T-shirts, those will be available to the public when I want that to be. And I can also have a custom thing with something special on there, and then that's gonna be for me. So no, I'm not sharing my custom skins. That's not gonna happen, sorry. All right, I wanna talk about another question I received in my inbox. This is about career advice. This is a question from Germany from a DJ who wants to remain anonymous, so I respect that, so no names right here. Uh, but let's just describe the scenario. I relocated to Germany in 2015, and ever since then, I've been struggling with the DJ and club scene in the region I live in. I've been playing for around seven years now, but I got interested in turntablism in 2016, and I've been learning since then. The main challenge I have is that I'm not getting gigs as often as I would like to. Not because I'm not a good DJ, but because club managers and promoters don't want to book me because I'm a foreigner who cannot speak German. I have a profile on most of the social media platforms showcasing some of my work. I get likes and positive comments from a lot of people I adore, including promoters in my locality, but they never book me for a show. This saddens me a lot because it kills my morale and motivation for being a DJ, and sometimes I just think about giving up on being a DJ. But on the other hand, I love this art with all my heart. Please, what do you think I can do? All I want is to be the best I can be and to share my love for music with people by rocking them. All right, a couple of things here that we need to address. First of all, if you've been living in Germany since 2015 and it is now 2018, you should speak German. I think this is very important. Uh, not for your DJ career, it might help, but... If you've been in a country, you've been living there for three years, or this is your third year, you should be able to speak the language. Now, it might not be fluent German, but you should be able to communicate fairly well within that time span. It is so important because it makes life easier. And yes, in Germany, a lot of people will understand English to a certain degree. So it's very tempting not to learn a new language and just stick to English and get by. But in a lot of situations, speaking the local language will make things easier. You can communicate on a better level. Uh, you'll get respected more and accepted more. That's just the case in a lot of places. And I couldn't imagine living somewhere for a couple of years and not being able to speak to people in their own language. Um, it's, not, it's not easy. Also, depending on your age, um, when you're young, you adapt easy. When you're a young kid, you can learn a new language like so easily. Just put a kid in with a bunch of kids that speak a different language, and in no time, that kid will also be speaking that language. If you're older, it gets a little bit harder, but still, 
you should at least put in that effort. If you're only putting in that effort, that alone will get you a lot of respect. Now, that's aside from the whole DJ thing. You should really do that. So I hope you're trying to learn to speak that language. So look, you're a foreigner. You've been living there for a couple of years. So you were not born there. That means that you will not have the same type of network as a lot of the local DJs might have. Um, that's not an excuse. It's just a fact. And networks can mean a lot for your gigs. Uh, I've never been the best at networking. That's why I never played the amount of gigs that I should have played up until this point. And I've played a lot of gigs, but it should have been even a lot more. But I was never really into networking, making sure that I stay in touch with the right people because that can really help. And I've seen people come into this country that didn't even speak the language, but they were smooth when it came to talking. Now, of course, the Netherlands is a little bit different because English can get you by like almost everywhere. Um, but I've seen people come into this country not speaking the language, coming in and talking to the right people, getting close to the right people, and within no time getting more gigs than a lot of local DJs. So networking, it's a major thing. So if you can talk the talk, that can go a long way. Because unfortunately, skills don't really matter that much. I know a lot of people that get more gigs just because they're doing the right type of promo or right type of networking, and they're not really that good, but they're getting all of the gigs. So that's important, but it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to have that same level of uh, networking skills. That's the, I, I just gave myself, I showed, I'm the example. I could have played a lot more if I was into networking. That was just not my thing. I stayed to myself which is just the person I am, um, but that can definitely work against you. Now, luckily, I came up in a time where skills definitely mattered, so that allowed me to just pay my dues and get my spots, um, but that could really be a thing. Now, next, what you really need to do is find your own audience. So if the club promoters and owners are not giving you the gigs, you need to find people that want to hear what you do. You told me you really love this. You just want to be the best you can be and share your love for music with the people by rocking them. Well, you can start by making sure that they're checking out your stuff. So you have a presence presence on social media. You need to really double down on that. Um, reach more people that way. Use ads to get to more people. Upload a lot more clips on Instagram. Put the right hashtags in so people in your local area can find it. Um, search for people in your area that like artists that you play. And when they post something about an artist, you can comment, not by doing promo for yourself, but comment smart, like add something to the conversation. Say something about the artist, like I really love the production on this song. I play it all the time. Just stuff like that. And maybe that'll spark something within the person to take a look at your profile and see what it is that you do. Um, you can do live streams, but they can be tricky with copyrights. But make sure you put a lot of, uh, just do a podcast. Just mix and put it on Mixcloud or Soundcloud. It's the mixing podcast. And then try to promote that through stuff like Facebook and target audiences in your area. Yeah, you're going to have to pay for a little promo, but you want to reach those people. Of course, as always, you can try to organize small events. Now, that might be a little bit more difficult being that you're not from the area. But then again, you've been living there for three years. You probably know at least some people. Those people know some more people. Those people know some more people, et cetera, et cetera. Even if you organize things where you got like 50 people, that's all you got. Get those 50 people in there. Play the music you love to play. Rock that crowd. Film it. Get footage. Put that online on Instagram. Short clips. Um, Put in work. Make sure you're getting out there. Be visible. 
any way that you can be. And even then, that might take a long time before it actually works. So you're going to have to also deploy a lot of patience, uh, deploy a lot of patience. Um, so work, do anything you can do and uh, work on that language as well. So that can help out with the networking. Um, look, I don't know your nationality, your ethnicity. That could also be an issue. I hate to say that this is not in any way to bring up a race card. But fact is, in certain countries, in certain cities, if you have a certain skin tone and you're not from the country, not speaking the language, that can definitely work against you. Now, that shouldn't hold you back from trying, but be very, just be aware of all the things that could play a role. But then again, you just need to double down on all the other things and um, get your presence known and build that fan base. So I really hope that helps you out. Um, I don't know how long you're going to be there, if you're living there for the rest of your life or if you're going back to wherever you came from. Um, but if you want more gigs, you're just going to have to work for it. That's it. So this is something that I've mentioned in a couple of my videos over the years. And I just saw a new comment on one of my YouTube videos that was all about this as well. And that is the power of mixing with live music. So don't read that title wrong. This is not about doing a live mix. This is about mixing live music. Now, when I say live music, what do I mean? When I say live music, I'm talking about music that was played by actual musicians. So this is not a discussion about what's real music and what's not. I'm just talking about music where the drums are being played by an actual drummer, not a drum machine. The difference here is a drum machine will be on point. That tempo, if let's for instance, you have a track that's 112 BPM. If you have a drum machine doing the drums, it's being programmed by a producer, that's gonna be 112 BPM all the way through. So when you have that track and you're mixing it, you're safe. It's gonna stay the same tempo. If you're playing music that's played by live musicians, even if you have the best drummer in the world, playing the drums on that track, and that track is 112 BPM, that tempo is gonna fluctuate throughout the track because a drummer is human and not a machine, so those drums will never stay 112 BPM the entire time. Now, what that means is it adds a layer of difficulty that really has to have your full attention at all times during a transition because you can sync a track. So imagine you're playing two tracks uh, from the maybe even pre-disco era, like some soul funk played by live musicians. You have one track playing. It's a live track. It has a certain tempo. You get the new track. You cue it on the headphones. You're trying to blend it. You try to match the tempo. At the moment you got it, the drums are actually in sync. If you let that track play for maybe even 10 or 20 more seconds, all of a sudden they're not in sync anymore. Now this is gonna test your ears because you're gonna have to really stay on point to hear which track felt behind or went in front of the other. So is the track that I'm trying to mix in, did it play a little faster for a second because the drummer just played it a little faster or did he play it a little slower? And even when you adjust a couple of seconds later, that could adjust again. So it needs your undivided attention. Now, of course, I know I spoke about not looking at laptop screens. Um, in this case, you could also use your laptop screen to see 
which file is falling behind. I get that. But if you're going to do that with tracks like this, you're really going to have to stare at your laptop the entire time. That's not a good look. You want to train your ears because that really builds some good skills right there. I've seen this a lot of times when I used to go to parties here in Amsterdam. Um, it was a party called Paradisco. Paradisco at a club called Paradiso. Now at that party, they were playing disco, soul, funk, but like all of the music being played was like live music. Again, when I say live music, I just mean played by musicians. It's not an actual uh, live concert recording on vinyl, but just live music being played by real musicians. I've seen DJs struggle during transitions there because they had it, they matched it and then they started to work the EQ, and within the next five seconds, one of the tracks was getting out of that sync, and they had to go straight back in, give it a little nudge or hold it back. Then when they tried to go back to the EQ, whoa, they had to go back. So you're fighting with that track the entire time to keep it in sync. Now, of course, with modern day tech, you have the option to actually take tracks like that, put them in Ableton, and put markers on all the right points and warp it so you can actually turn the track into a track that plays at a steady BPM the entire time. I get that, you have tricks like that, but that's not what this is about. This is about challenging yourself as a DJ by making it more difficult. So you're now learning to really use your ears and stay on point the entire time and manipulate that track manually to keep it in sync. Um, for modern day music, you will never need that. But just imagine, if you're practicing with stuff like that at home, how much easier it will become when you then start to play modern day music again that has tempo that will stay the same throughout the entire track. You will have that track synced up in no time like that. So this is not something you need to do the entire time. But if you're practicing your DJ skills, this could be a very great addition to your practice routine. Take a couple of old soul and funk tracks and try to blend those, see how that works. Um, just a little trick I wanted to put out there. I've mentioned this before that this is the most difficult thing to mix. Um, so maybe this will never be part of your actual sets, but it should be part of your um, skill building set to try to challenge yourself. And you might as well just do that at home. It's perfectly safe. You don't have a crowd around, but it will help you build skill that you can always use later on in your career. So that's it for the Share the Knowledge podcast, episode 39. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to send a special shout out to the sponsor, Banzoogle. Now, I'll be back next Monday with a new episode on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Anchor. If you want to ask me a question, you can do that in the comments section. You can send me an email, djtlmtv at djtlm.com. You can check out some of the video clips and all my other video material on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash djtlmtv. For all my info, go to djtlm.com or check me out on social. The handle is at djtlm everywhere. And of course, for the podcast info, go to my special podcast website, sharethenowledgepodcast.com. I'll be back next week. Until then, share the knowledge, practice, and have a lot of fun. Peace.